Hello, 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 and welcome to another incredible, amazing whirlwind of an adventure that is My Violent Tendencies with me, Marvelous Matt Nix. And this episode this week is a real fun one. It's a little bit different than what I normally do. If you if you do listen to this show uh, regularly, uh, even though I don't put out episodes regularly, but if you do listen, um, you know that this show isn't necessarily uh, like a sit down interview type thing. Um, but we, you know, I kind of dove into being a little bit of an interviewer this uh, this week. Um, this week's guest is a good friend of mine. Uh, I've pretty much known him my entire wrestling career, I believe. Yeah, no, I mean, damn near since the beginning. We kind of get into that a little bit. Um, some of you might know know him as Matt. Some of you might know him as Aiden English, but I think he's going by the name Drama King Matt now. Um, he's on the show this week. We uh, It's a fun, ep- uh, fun interview, uh, so to speak, but more of a conversation. Uh, we sit down and we talk about, you know, his whole career kind of and just the ups and downs and where he's kind of heading now and you know we get into a lot of the whiskey talk with his wrestling wrestling with whiskey um venture that he's been kind of getting into and it's very interesting to kind of know hear these stories and you know you it's it's interesting to to find out like what other things that people you know are into that you know you have a shared interest in and and not saying that I'm like a you know a wine or wine whiskey aficionado by any means, but you know I do I do occasionally like to drink uh, some whiskey. Um, so it, we had a little fun chat about that, and it's always fun to to kind of know like you know people in wrestling. We all love wrestling. You know, obviously we're in wrestling, we're obsessed with it. We love we we love what we do. We love talking about it. We love being around it. But it's always fun to kind of you know find out these other things, other shared interests uh, that you might have with these people, because obviously you have this immediate connection because of wrestling, but then you, you know, you grow stronger bonds with people just with, with other shared interests you have. So, um, but it's really fun, a really good in, uh, interview style thing. I, uh, not to put myself over, but, um, but I do have some other news uh, to kind of dive into here a little bit. Um, for those of you that follow myself or freelance wrestling on Twitter, I made the announcement yeah, uh, this past Monday that we are officially going to be doing uh, our own Patreon, which uh, you know we should have probably been doing uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. You know when things kind of shut down, um, but you know, like I kind of it kind of was like this for me and and I'm sure a lot of people can probably uh relate to this is that you know you go through like a lot of feelings of like self-loathing and self-doubt uh where I'm just kind of like well you know I could put this stuff out. like I I wanted to do all this kind of stuff and I'm just like well you know are people going to really care like I don't know man like I feel like nobody cares about us and you know, I, I've gotten I've gotten better about that. You know, over this past year, you know, kind of like learning a lot about myself and you know the stress that you know I put on myself and a lot of my like social anxieties. You know, I, I've kind of like come to address them head on and 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 learning ways to kind of um, to not have to not feel as bad about things. You know, not you know I, I always have problems with you know, accepting gratitude or like people, you know, saying nice things about me, you know, it's very hard 
to for me personally to be like oh thank you like i appreciate you saying that like it's it's like in my in my brain like my brain is like no like you you shouldn't accept this like you don't deserve that and it's a whole thing uh <laughs> i don't want to get into the into this whole uh therapy hour thing but but no you know i i really wanted to do stuff like this at the beginning of the pandemic and you know i just never really kind of got the the motivation to do it and you know uh, now that things are starting to get back together and 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 we're you know we're moving forward and i'm just like hey this is something that like I really feel like I want to. I want to still do this, and I, and I think that fans, uh, I hope that fans uh, w- would be very receptive of it, and it's going to be very fun uh, and relatively affordable as well. Uh, very affordable, I should say, not relatively. Um, but really quickly, I'm going to go down like these tiers, uh, tier pricing systems. If if this is something that if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I had no idea you guys were doing this, uh, check it out. So at the five dollar level, right at the beginning you become an official freelance supporter. And with that, you kind of get access to early uh, early access to breaking news or like freelance related announcements. Uh, you know, I'll probably post post it on the Patreon the day before I post it publicly on social media. So you, if you sign up at the $5 level, you get all that stuff right away. You know, you get your, your ear to the ground. Uh, you're kind of in the know about these things but you'll also receive your very own freelance's home bumper sticker you can put it on your car you can put it on your computer you could just you know have it and hold on to it and not do it and do anything with it but you you'll get one of those it's pretty awesome um and then also when shows do end up coming back you will get early access to live event ticket sales when they when they go on sale so um you know, we we thankfully had a, a very good problem of we were selling out of our shows uh, before this pandemic happened. And, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, man, if I, I missed the when the tickets dropped, so I didn't get my ticket or, hey, if you really are worried about not getting a ticket and you don't have the cash to sign up for a season ticket, sign up five dollar level. You get early access to those ticket links uh, before everybody else. Uh, moving on to that, the ten dollar level. Uh, you become official freelance VIP. So you get all that stuff earlier. You get the early news. You get the bumper sticker. You get early ticket access. But also, you get access to a m- brand new monthly freelance podcast. I, I think we're just going to call it the Freelance Cast. Uh, once a month, we'll pu- put it up here. It'll be exclusive to Patreon. So it's the only way you can listen to it is on this Patreon. Um, and it's basically just going to be me sitting down with people involved in freelance uh, or freelance adjacent, I guess, you know, wrestlers, staff, uh, some some of our like biggest fans for, for of freelance, you know, um, just telling stories, talking about uh, the product, the shows. Um, so it'll be fun. It'll be a fun little behind the scenes look at or listen to um, some of the stuff that goes on. Uh, but in addition to that, you will get your own Patreon exclusive freelance VIP enamel pin. Uh, you can wear that to shows and you can show off to everybody be like, hey, check me out. I'm a fucking VIP. I'm a badass. Um, and then at the $20 level, it's the official freelance homies club. Uh, so you get everything from the previous two uh, tiers. But in addition to that, uh, you'll get a, mo- a monthly shout out on the freelance cast. And you have the option to be a guest on the show as well. Because if you're signing up at the $20 tier, you're probably a super fan. You love freelance so much. 
And I want to hear you talk about how much you love freelance and everybody else does too. So I would love to sit down and talk with you guys, whether it be in person or through Skype or Zoom, however you feel comfortable doing it. I would love to do that. So you get that. And then at the top of that, you get a Patreon exclusive. Freelance is my homies t-shirt. Um, we haven't made the design yet, but it's looking like it's going to be that like that Jesus is my homie kind of shirt, but it's with set of Jesus's head. It's going to be the freelance skull. Uh, it's really silly, really funny, but it's going to be exclusive to Patreon. So the only way you can get that t-shirt is if you sign up for the $20 level. Um, but also at that $20 tier, sorry, the most, uh, important one, I think my, and I'm very excited to do this. Uh, Patreon exclusive watch along shows uh, to past freelance events. So with that, it'll be you know myself and whoever. I don't know. I'll get I'll get a bunch of different people, and we'll sit down and we're gonna watch back old freelance shows. And uh, you'll kind of you know you'll get to see us in the little corner there, and we'll watch the show back, and we'll talk about it. And you know I could tell I'll tell some stories about you know how this show came about and specific matches and everything like that. And um. You know, we'll probably open up like some sort of like Q and A stuff too. I'm I'm not I'm not exactly sure. I don't know exactly how Patreon works, but I think we could do something like that probably. Because um, I would love to answer questions uh, if you guys have them about specific uh, freelance stuff. So that's really fun. Check it out if you if you're interested. It's Patreon.com/slash Freelance Wrestling and sign up. Uh, we very much very much appreciate your support. Um, if you do. And, and and even if you don't, even if you just love freelance, but you don't have the cash, we still love you. But um, other than that, you know, we have we have some news uh, about a uh, taping that we're doing uh, with freelance and freelance underground. We're doing a show together. Uh, it's it's the the, the uh, Chicago's uh, secret stash, and it's it's such a fun name for a show. I love it. Uh, but it's freelance freelance underground together. Uh, with a lot of a lot of the students uh, of the Freelance Wrestling Academy getting a, getting a chance to wrestle against some great veterans, um, I know Effie's going to be on the show. Uh, Robert Anthony, who's the Freelance Legacy Champion, GPA, Laney Luck, um, Cole Raddick, Acid Jazz. It's it's going to be a great show. So we're taping that this month, but that is going to air on IWTV on April 9th at four o'clock Eastern, three p.m. Central. Um, matches are going to be getting announced soon, but it's going to be an awesome show. I am very, very excited, uh, for you guys to see this show because we're very proud of our students and they work super hard and, uh, they're going to be the next crop of guys and gals going out there and, uh, making a name for themselves on the independent scene very soon. So make sure you check that out. Uh, check out the Patreon and, uh, just keep on keeping on. So, Without further ado, let's jump into this interview with uh, Drama King Matt. And at the end of this episode, <laughs> stay tuned for a very, uh, very fun voicemail that I that I received. You'll 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 enjoy this one. Thanks, guys. Right. I usually just hit record and then edit it wherever wherever we need to. Yeah. <laughs> I've had it happen before where people. Um, where I'm like, yeah, 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 I just I just hit record, and they're like, oh shit, we were recording, and then they're like, yeah, can you cut out that stuff in the beginning oh, that I said? <laughs> Not that it was like ever anything bad, but they're just like, oh, I just don't want to sound like an asshole like yeah. to people. Do you gotta eat? Do you gotta eat these, Mike? Yeah, a little bit. You, a little you, bit. You can get close. You can get close. They're clean. I I wipe them up. This one is a little 
like dusty, I guess. I don't yeah. know if that's from me or whatever. This is just character. <laughs> They're all, I got the purple mic socks. D- dusty in the whiskey world is a very good thing. It means it's like an old bottle of whiskey. Ooh, a dust. Like, like I think of like in like cowboy movies where they go into the saloon and they pull off the, the bottle from the top shelf and they blow off that all the will, dust. That's exactly where it's, it's been like a huge trend in the last like decade or whatever because people finding bottles from like the 60s, 70s that like, you know, in grandpa's basement that he never opened a bottle of Jim Beam or whatever. And you just taste how it was like, oh, it was made differently a little bit. Like it's the same thing technically, but it was made a little differently and it tastes it just it, it all tastes better if it was made in the sixties. In the sixties, that's oh, your yeah. that's your go to. Seventy like seventies eighties wild turkey is some of the greatest. Can I curse on here? Oh, you can say whatever you okay. want. Greatest shit like ever. <laughs> um, I've 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 had some. I've been lucky enough to have nineteen twenty nine. Whoa! A bottle that was they opened it for me. Ooh! It was at that Bardstown Bourbon Company. The first time I ever visited, I was on the road. And, um, I've been doing the whiskey stuff and like, uh, made friends with this one whiskey personality. And then, uh, he's like, yeah, come on down. He goes, I got some friends at this bar. They have this great restaurant. They have this library, vintage library that he helped curate. And I came out and like on the house, they opened up this bottle of 1929 Canadian Seagram's Canadian bourbon. Oh shit. Which is funny because starting in 1964, Bert is when bourbon became only American. Like you can only make it in America. So really? before that, like there was Mexican bourbon, there was Canadian bourbon. There was all these countries just being like, Oh, bourbon's a whiskey that they're making. All right, we're going to make our own. But then in the sixties, they made it, they put all the rules in place and everything. So it was kind of funny. So by law, like only Americans can make bourbon. Yes. Really? What, what's the reasoning behind that? Um, because, because it was kind of, it was popularized and developed in America in like the 1800, some people say early 17 or late 1700s, but it's really hard to trace it. Like who made the first, they claim, uh, heaven Hill claims that pastor Elijah Craig, uh, discovered it by accidentally burning his barrels and then he stored his whiskey <laughs> in there and, um, in like 1789 or whatever. And it's like, okay, nobody can prove that shit. So it's like yeah, it's somewhere late now. 1700s, early 1800s. It became popular in America because they were making a lot of rye whiskey. Um, malted whiskey came from Scotland and they were trying to make that in the East when we first colonized. Um, but there wasn't. So they started making rye whiskey because rye was a lot more plentiful in the Eastern on the Eastern seaboard. But then as we moved into like places like Kentucky and stuff like that, they started planting corn and corn was used a lot. It was much more, um, it was cheap and it was easy to grow there. So they started using corn to make whiskey and then so on and so forth. It became kind of uh, they, I don't know when they started calling it bourbon. I think the middle 1800s or something like that. And uh, it, so it became popular in America. So then when they saw all these imitation ones doing and everything uh, in the 60s, 1964, they, it became a distinct product of the United States and wow. had to follow. They put in all these rules about... <laughs> How you had you know, what uh fifty one percent corn, uh no coloring, no additives, um goes in the barrel at no more than 125 proof, has to be bottled at, at least eighty proof, can't be distilled higher than hundred and sixty hundred and sixty proof. Um amongst a few other little tiny little bits and pieces or whatever. So yeah, there's a bunch of rules with it which uh, make it kind of a unique thing. So sorry, did not mean to start off this whole thing no, with, no, with a nerdy explanation <laughs> of bourbon. This always happens to me. No, that's great. I definitely was like, 
gonna gonna ask questions about about this uh your whole uh wrestling with whiskey yeah and stuff like that like uh but that's that's funny that you said it's the most american thing i've ever heard is like no only we can make it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then after that is when everybody else like scotland did that they're go okay well scotch can only be doing like this and then like japanese whiskey which just started getting like official um for the longest time it had no real regulation they literally just (laughs) a couple months ago we're like, all right, here's how Japanese whiskey has to be made. So, yeah, there's, there's actually there was rules. There's like that all over the world for different, not just whiskeys, but like it's like every country has their particular like liquor. Yeah. Yeah. Like in Hungary, it's palinka. Palinka. It's a fruit liqueur. Um, it can be made from several fruit. They've, I, ha- I have a bottle of plum and peach at Ooh, home that plum I picked sounds up. Great. And it, it's like a clear like liqueur, but it's actually like, most liqueurs are weaker because they're like flavored. They have mm-hmm. sugar and all that stuff. But this one is like a full 80 proof. Whoa. It's like a full spirit level <laughs> strength, but it's technically a liqueur because it's like from fruit and they, I think they add a little sugar. But uh, the process and everything that it's, it can only be made in Hungary. Interesting. Well, yeah. and like what, what in America, I guess, would it be like similar to? Just, just like a liqueur, like you said. Or? I mean, yeah, like um, it, it's think of it like a uh, triple sec, a Grand Marnier, like which are those are orange liqueurs, mm-hmm. or um, but it's it's same way. But this is a little bit more. Though those ones in America, there's very little regulation on liqueur. You can add color, you can add sugar, you can, do whatever you can you add want. whatever the hell you want to it. <laughs> um, but. Uh, I think over the, for this Palenka stuff, it's a little bit more strict. They have a specific process you have to kind of go through. Interesting. So, uh, so what what kind of started your whole like infatuation with like with whiskey and, and bourbon and just kind of like this whole? I mean, you you kind of just like ran, went off on this whole like history of bourbon in America, which was <laughs> awesome. Uh, like I'm like I'm the same way with certain things where I'll just be like, oh, like once we start talking about it, I I can just like. If we're talking about aliens or something like that, I can just yeah. ramble off all these facts about random shit. Um, but like for you, like when did that start? Like with whiskey? Uh, prob- so I'm trying to think cause like I started the Instagram, like almost, it'll be four years this summer. And so then it was probably a little less than a year before that. Um, so probably about five years now I- I've been into it. It started. And when I still lived in Florida and, um, I just want, it's, well, I mean, it was even before I met my wife. It was when I was living kind of on my own and I was not a big partier. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, when we were in Tampa, when the FCW was in Tampa, I would go out with the boys and like, cause it was the thing to do. Right. And there was kind of have to. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing else to do. Otherwise you were literally sitting in your, especially I'm by myself. I'm sitting in my little studio apartment by myself. I don't want, um, I can only do that so much. Yeah. So eventually, so I, mean, I go out with me and, you know, I have a, a shot of Jameson and, uh, and a couple Coronas. What a weird combo, <laughs> um, which is actually funny though, considering I later went on. So I had a shot of Irish whiskey and a Mexican beer and I went on to marry a, a Latina woman. <laughs> and so we had, like, I always thought I found it funny that I'm like, I, you know what? You don't see that. I don't know why Irish and like Mexican, it, do, it doesn't, they don't in food and drink or they don't cross paths a lot. I'm like, but here we are like make, making this funny thing work. And yet my go-to used to be a shot of Jameson and, and, uh, Corona. and Corona. <laughs> uh, but I was like, I don't want it. Yeah. That, it was just take a shot or two to get loose and have it nurse a beer or two to kind of just keep it going. That was, that was it. That was all I cared. I didn't actually drink to enjoy anything. And so mm-hmm. I, I reached a point where I was like, 
I want to enjoy it. I want to taste it. Um, you know, I thought people like the wine folks. I'm like, it's nerdy, but it's kind of cool that they can like sit there and like just sniff on a glass and taste it. And like, I always liked sophisticated things. I always liked kind of the deeper level of things. And my dad always enjoyed scotch, either neat or with one, one kind of ice cube. And I was like, I want to drink like that. And so it started with like cocktails. I, I thought I would be like, <clears throat> excuse me. I thought I would be like my own, like, Tom Cruise and cocktail thing. I was like, Oh, I'm going to get in. I'm going to get vermouth and I'm going to get all this. And I'm going to shake her in. And, you know, and I, after, uh, buying, I was like, I get the little orange peel thing and everything. And like, after realizing, you know, my cut limes when I'm living by myself and I have like one drink a night, I'm like, yeah, limes go bad real quick. <laughs> so my, it's not like a bar where I can have garnishes like all the time. So I'm like, all right, maybe I should just learn to drink this neat. <clears throat> So I can, it'll, it'll last longer. Yeah. I'll actually get some use out of all this stuff. And like vermouth goes bad if, after a couple of weeks and everything too. So I'm like, yeah, maybe as a single man living alone, this, this probably isn't the greatest hobby. But, uh, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to learn to drink whiskey neat. And I, I read a book about drinking whiskey neat and I just started doing it. And I got a high proof bourbon and a can of Coke. And I, and I've told this story before, but like, I just sip and chase it and then sip wait a little bit longer and chase it sip until I no longer needed the chaser. And then, uh, on it once, once that happened and I was able to do it, it was like, yes. And then that's, <laughs> that's when I found, I'm like, all right, let me learn more about this. And I, that's, that was the deep end. That was podcasts, Facebook groups, you know, Reddit, all that. I was like, holy crap. Like wrestling. There's a whole community. There's a whole niche community. You know, like it's this whole thing. There's people arguing over what bottles, you should have and what you shouldn't have. And you're an idiot if you like this. And I'm like, Oh yeah, it's like wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> it's people ripping on each other for, for their opinions. But, uh, but everybody kind of coalescing around this, this one thing. I, I can imagine, um, like you said, people kind of like talking shit about like, Oh, if you drink this, you're an idiot. Oh yeah. Like I, I just from talking to people that like, that kind of like consider themselves like, uh, in the know of that, that kind of stuff. They're like, Oh, if you drink Jack Daniels, like that's trash. And like, I was always kind of like, I mean, it's like it, it, it all does the same thing. Like that yeah. was kind of like my, my thought process. It all does the same thing. Like you don't, you, you drink it, you get drunk. It, it, it all, it's all doing, it's all going to the same place. But, but like you said, you start tasting different things and, and you went about it way more practical than I did. Uh, like with, with having like the chaser and stuff. Cause I would just like, I would, I was like, Oh, and like in movies and stuff like this is just how like dudes drink their their whiskey or yeah it was like don that. draper for me it was yeah. Mad Men. i'm like oh yeah it was noon and he's having canadian club in his office yeah. i want to do that <laughs> and i would just do that at like mostly at like like family parties and stuff and i would just stand there and i would just like just like gutter gut it down the yeah, grin and bear it every sip was just like like fighting it down and then just like but pretending it like like i was no, no selling it every time and yeah. Uh, and I'm just like, man, this sucks. But I'm like trying to trying to like force myself to like it. Yeah. And then eventually you just get to a point where you're just like, oh, this is just, you know, acceptable. Yeah. No, it, it, it's it's a, all the cheese. It's an acquired taste. You know, yeah. as they say, and, you know, it, it's a tolerance thing. It's, it's true. Like, and I remember having the same thing, even drinking like 80 proof, like just standard, like something like a Jack Daniels. was like, oh, it's just grinning. And now if it's under 90 proof. I'm like, uh, it tastes like water. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like it's, it's just, it, it comes with time and it comes with, uh, lots of practice. You have to refine your palate. You do. You do. <laughs> uh, sniff your hand in between, uh, smelling 
uh, different things. Oh, I never even thought about that. It's uh, it's supposed to neutralize. So if you were like going to, whether it's wine or whatever, like if you're going to sniff two or three different glasses, that sounds so funny, sniff glasses. (laughs) Uh, But if you're going to nose or whether it's whiskeys or whatever, yeah, in between to kind of reset your olfactory senses, smell your own skin. Oh, that's interesting. It kind of uh, neutralizes. It gets you back to like what a neutral smell is. That's pretty interesting. Uh, You mentioned it's been about four years since you started uh, the Instagram. Yeah. Uh, what are like, what are some cool things that you've done? I've been, I, cause I follow it on Instagram, Instagram. I follow like kind of like what you've been doing and I see you popping up at different places, just kind of like doing tastings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some cool things that you've gotten to do because of this? <sighs> A lot. I mean, <laughs> uh, no, like really it, it, it took off and I mean, it's on. So some of one at the very beginning, I'll just say that at the small, on the small end, it helped me explore a lot overseas, like when I was on tour with WWE. So that would be my, cause I, I'll be, I mean, I'm again, I'm even at 33. I'm, I'm like, there's a shy kid in me. So like I, I, I wouldn't, I was the type of guy who would, I'd go down to catering. I'd hang out in my hotel room until it was time to go to the show. Like I did, I didn't do as much as I probably should have, but in this ha- uh, hobby of like collecting whiskey, I, it forced me to go out. Cause I'm like, well, I want to see what the, local spirit and bottle shops around this town or whatever. Yeah. Uh, especially like in Japan and like, especially countries like Japan where they have, they have amazing whiskey that we can't always get over here. And Japan is a huge bourbon market. They love American bourbon. And so we've sometimes, especially because the bourbon market in America was terrible in the nineties. So like they took some of the best stuff and exported it to Japan because the Japanese were like, yes, we want Bring all, it over. we want the good stuff. <laughs> and so they'd sell them like the old stuff and like the really good barrels. So over there, they have a big import market. They're certain now they're starting to come back, but there was a lot of like export only things that you could only find over there. So I'd go out hunting for that. So like it got, it got me to explore certain, you know, more so when I was on tour a lot, I've gotten to, meet a lot of personalities and like just see distilleries. I've gotten both through just traveling on the road and cause I've been lucky enough to get invites uh, from certain distilleries. Like, Hey, if you're in town, come, we'd love to kind of show you around. I got to do that. Um, Bard something that I talked about at the beginning They I came, they opened up that old ass vintage. That stuff is $500 a pour. Whoa. And it was like, this thing. This old bottle was never opened. And so they weren't even sure how, if it was going to open and they <laughs> opened, they cracked it. They broke the seal for me. That's which insane. was crazy. Um, it's a nice little flex. Yeah. Like, yeah. Open up this, uh, yeah. super old bottles, like older than my grandparents. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> so, uh, like that was really cool. Um, gotten to start. I did this, I started the YouTube channel. Um, and then again, I've connected, I've kept a really close relationship with that Bardstown. This past fall, I actually got to compete. They held, kind of through a social media thing, um, a world's top whiskey taster competition. Ooh. And they held it in each of their markets. So they're not everywhere in the US yet, but they're in like 10 different markets. And each market, like you could submit like a 60 second video of why do you think you should be part of this competition? And so. Ed Rodriguez, who runs the Illinois uh, market, was like, you should try it. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I sent in a video. I got, I got selected for the, it was like Illinois, Wisconsin kind of region. And there were three finalists for our region. And I won, the, they did like a preliminary competition, like via Zoom. And uh, it was a tasting kind of and identifying competition. I won that. 
And then uh, that was invited. So then they had the winners of each region come down to Bardstown in October. And we competed in like a little, it was like a one day, but we, uh, one day event where we did, I think it was four or five different events that were judged by both like master distillers and some of their, their brand reps and some people, uh, some educators that they brought in and everything like that. It was really, it was one of those things I could have gotten dead last. Um, but it would have been an, inc- it was such a cool experience. We Just got to, to like, be there. yeah, we got to do these, like this tasting class and like, uh, this nosing class using like chemicals and, and whiskey to like identify faults in whiskey. We got to mix our own blend of bourbons in the top floor of the Rick house and then have it judged by their master distiller. Oh shit. Like, yeah, it was, that's all, really cool. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. I actually have a funny story. I'll follow it up in a minute. That relates <laughs> to wrestling too. So, um, so yeah, it would it would have been awesome just just to go, just to be a part of that, and like the the staff and everything is amazing. But I got third place in that too. No, so congratulations, um, thank you. No, it was just like oh cool. I'm like it was one of those kind of things, and I knew I was learning more, but it was a nice little like, and I was competing. I'm just I still I'm just I'm a fan of whiskey who's learned a little bit. That's how I see it. But I was like quote unquote competing against like these like career bartenders and mixologists and. Um, you know, like writers and stuff like that. I was like, Oh, that's, it was very validating, which was cool. But, um, it was kind of, I will say this. So getting back to wrestling, it was a little <laughs> awkward because as I mentioned, Ed, uh, who, who was kind of, who, uh, <laughs> Ed Rodriguez, who runs the Bardstown, Illinois market. He's, he's an old school wrestling fan. That's kind of how we connected at first. So he also through me kind of hooked up with, like Baron Corbin, who who likes oh. whiskey as well, and so like I introduced him, him to him. So he invited Corbin to the competition. That day. he's like, yeah, he's like, if you want to come down, he goes, well, you know, we'll show you around and stuff like that. So I'm like, oh, he's gonna. I'm like, that's cool. I always like to see Tom, and we we always love talking whiskey. But so <laughs> he comes out. So like, it's weird because I'm like. I'm a grown adult, but we are we are kind of being led around this competition. Kind, of, it felt almost like. Like kindergartners at summer camp. They're like, oh, follow us. Like, kind of. They're like, all right, everybody stay in a group. And like, we're going to go to the next competition now. Like, it's going to, and we like, we walk along. And, like, <laughs> meanwhile, like, there's regular people like having lunch there. And we're all like in a little, in our little like summer camp group. It felt, it felt weird already a little bit. But, um, so yeah, none of the other brand reps from like the different regions are there, but Ed is. And then like nobody else has friends there. Like nobody else brought their family or anything to this. But then, <laughs> but here's Corbin. Like, and so again, I thought they were just going to hang out. He's going to like hang out with like, um, like the COO or whatever the company was there. So I thought they would just hang out. Sure enough, like these two, they're following me around the competition. <laughs> again, it's just the competitors and like the, the host who's like their national brand rep, Sam. But then like trailing behind us is Ed and Corbin, <laughs> like just drinking whiskey, like taking pictures of me, like and recording on their phone, I felt like a kid who's like parents were embarrassing him. He's <laughs> like, "You're doing great, buddy." And also, I'm like, nobody else. Dad. This is so embarrassing. I'm like, nobody else was able to have like friends here or whatever. Like, everyone else is probably looking at me like, "Who's this asshole who's got his buddies <laughs> his like entourage?" F- yeah, following him around <laughs> this damn competition while I'm trying to like concentrate. It was so it was funny and awkward, but it, it was a hell of a time. God, that's <laughs> that's so good. Um, so yeah, obviously you mentioned wrestling. Mm-hmm. You're you're yeah. You're a wrestler. Oh my god! 
we're gonna talk about some wrestling. We could, yeah, we could definitely talk a little bit about wrestling. So, um, to your, you're, you're from Chicago originally. Oh yeah. Uh, when I first met you was 2010, 11 ish. I think maybe 20, 11. 2011. Because I, I, it was right off of when I did the FCW beginners class. Mm-hmm. I came back here, which so that I did that in January of 2011. So I came home in like April. So yeah, it was like that summer. But uh, so talk about that. So I remember when you started there because you, you came to CSW, train under the BOZ. Uh, shout out BOZ. Uh, you came there because Scarlett Bordeaux, mm-hmm. uh, you guys knew each other from college. I believe? Yeah. From, uh, we didn't like go with the same actually. Well, I was a TA for one of her stage combat classes. Okay. We both went to Columbia college, Chicago. She was a year or two behind me, but, um, when I, yeah. Cause when I was doing the training in Florida, she had started doing some stuff around here. And so when I came back, I was like, yeah, Hey, like, what do you, what do you do around here? Like how Who's, who's booking shows around here? Where do you train? Stuff like that. And then so she mentioned you guys. Yeah. So um, going down to FCW for that first time, like what was that experience like for you? Just like f- like fresh starting wrestling. Uh, how, how was that for you? I mean, it was, uh, it was intimidating, but it was funny because at the time, like looking back on it, I'm like, you're a freaking idiot. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, Again, like I could have tried to maybe find somewhere around here, but and I've said this before, like and it's it's at the time, and it's it's no knock on anyone, but at that time, I remember Tony Ten, there wasn't any major schools around here. I mean, not at all. Boz was kind of doing something, but even that wasn't super established yet. CSW was still doing. AAW didn't have a school per se. The only thing I ever remember seeing was Steel Domain, oh, which yeah. had kind of just closed basically. Yeah. So there was, I'm like, I'm like for such a big market, there wasn't really anything I could, unless I wanted to go to like Detroit and go with truth martini or something. And so I was just like, I don't know. And so like, I looked, I would always, I would look at the developmental website and I'm like, Oh, they offer a beginner's class. I'm like, I know it's a stretch, but I'm like, screw it. I'll save up some money and I'll go down there and I'll just, I'll give it a go. I want to learn. If I want to go to WWE, I'll learn from the people who work with the WWE guys. Right. So that was just my logic. So I did, I saved up some money. Um, Got a plane, packed a duffel bag, got a plane ticket, rented a room in a house off of Craigslist, oh, yeah. sight unseen. Oof. The the one saving grace was that the guy had meant, he kind of put the FCW thing in his ad that he's like, I know this wrestling class goes on here. So he's like, uh, people have stayed here before if you want references. So I, you know, I messaged the person who had stayed there for the class before one time. And he was like, no, he's a really nice guy. He's quiet, keeps to himself. Uh, he did mention, he's like, the guy's name was Glenn, who owned the house. <laughs> and the the person who would say there before was like, oh yeah, he's really nice. And, and then he started, he's like, sometimes he would even like take us to Bush Gardens and like buy us things. And I'm like, well, that sounds a little weird. That's a little I'm weird. I'm like, now we're getting like some <laughs> weird, lonely sugar daddy kind of situation. And I'm like, I don't know. But he was just like, he's really nice. And then I also found out that at this in the same class that I was taking, another student was going to be renting because the guy Glenn had a pool house, Mm. like a a very small little pool that had like a bedroom in it. So he's like, yeah, there's somebody else who's taking that class too. I'm like, all right. So we outnumber the guy. Yeah. I'm like, there's two (laughs) of us. There's two of us. Um, It did end up being fine though. The guy was very nice, very quiet. Uh, So, but it was kind of great. I'm like, I went to live in a bedroom of a stranger. Um, (laughs) For how long? How long were you there? Three months. Three months. It's not too bad. 
And uh, yeah, bought a bicycle. My first day, I went to the, there was a Target a couple blocks away. Bought a bicycle, and then ended up getting a gym, a job at a gym, like just maintenance guy, like not maintenance guy, but mopping the floors, cleaning yeah. the equipment, kind of thing, just like a maintenance worker. And uh, did that for pretty much the whole three months. And uh, and it, it was honestly it was great. We and we trained three days a week. Norman Smiley was our main trainer. Nice. Uh, Mike Graham, uh, rest in peace, was kind of the secondary. Tra- <laughs> Oh, God rest you, Mike. I loved it. He was so funny. Um, so it was Steve Kern's class, like because he ran FCW at the time. He, so he kind of re- offered the class. But Norman was the one training it. And Mike Graham was just kind of Steve's buddy. He's another Tampa guy, wrestling guy. And I swear to God, nine times out of ten, Mike would come in. I imagine fresh off the beach, <laughs> probably – quarter if not half in the bag like you know he just walks in like in for wrestling training in like sandals and a tommy bahama shirt <laughs> like br- freshly burnt. golden yeah brown sometimes had straight up had a drink in his hand you know claimed it was so quote-unquote soda but like he he was very cool and very relaxed and like old, old school brother all the way and, <laughs> and and would train us and stuff and uh but no norman was an incredible trainer still is god he's the, he is the he's the peak man yeah, he is the go-to guy for a lot especially like new people and everything like that man he's so good he's so smart with all like the technical wrestling stuff but then he's also like he's nice and approachable and he knows how to talk to people excuse me especially like new students and everything like that so i couldn't have had a better teacher than norman and like and we just we got along we had a great rapport and everything like that so that was just, that was just fun from beginning to end uh do you do you remember uh any other notable people from that beginners class oh yeah <laughs> i'll never forget that beginners class man oh man um so uh on the bright side of things like there was i found like this core group of friends which was really cool there was um a guy named ron Petoskey, who's actually from illinois he's from like west chicago okay um and there was a guy named Chase. I don't remember his last name. Uh, base, like baseball player uh, from North, I think North or South Carolina. Nice Southern boy. And then a guy named Daryl Robles from Texas. And whew, they were they were a fun group. And there was this girl Jen who was there. Okay. Jen was interesting. Interesting um, how? Because. I've never figured out why she wanted to be there. Like she came in to be a wrestler, but then she never wanted to wrestle. She was like that. You sometimes see these people like you paying for this. I don't know if they just, they wanted to maybe get famous, thought to, this was a chance to get to WWE or something like that. Cause like she'd always make excuses to sit out of training or like one of my biggest pet peeves was, and me, me and like the other guy, Daryl got really real hot about this was, we would do promos every so often. Mm-hmm. And again, it was just for Norman, but still it was a chance to get up and she would be like, no, I don't want to go. And I'm like, what are you doing? Here? No, you have a chance. I'm like, I know this, this isn't like an audition. This isn't a tryout. I know that, but you have a chance to cut a promo here in front of a WWE, like coach and employee and just both in training. It's just good practice. And you're just like, no, I don't want to do it. I'm like, can you imagine at that? I'm like, if dusty Rhodes were to ask you to get up and you would have been like, <laughs> no, I don't feel like doing a promo today. It's insane. It blew my yeah. It blew my mind. So I didn't really understand her motivations, but 
Um, she was nice enough, but, uh, yeah, no, they, they, they were awesome. We, uh, the guy, Daryl, he was like a day trader or something like that. So like, and he had actually gone on a game show. (laughs) This is how he got the money for the class. So he had gone on a game show and won like 30 grand. I don't remember what it was. was I think it was like a local Texas one, won like 30 grand and he won training with Booker T. Oh, wow. So, like, I think because he came on, like, it was some kind of talent show thing or whatever. And he came on to do, like, a whole, like, wrestling entrance and promo and, like, body slammed, you know, a, a blow-up <laughs> doll kind of thing. And it was just so over the top that I think everybody was kind of popped for it. So, he won the show. Got, like, a month of training with Booker T. So, we had, like, a little bit of a base. But he had this, like, extra cash. So, like... He paid for the class and like he rented this like three bedroom house on the outside of t- outskirts of Tampa, like for himself. So <laughs> as my wall falls apart. Yeah. Um, cause we were all in Cause it, he didn't, cause that's what at first we're like, he doesn't work. Uh, but he's got this big house that he's renting and all this stuff. And then he rented a car for like the, like three months or something like that. I don't know. But he, he was, he had a <laughs> hell of a promo, man. He was, he was, uh, Speaking to the Lord above, he was like one of those, he like a preacher kind of voice, but he would cut the old school wrestling <laughs> 80s promos. I am Daryl, um, what was it, like Abel, um, he called himself like Abel Johnson or something like that, <laughs> or Abel, Abel something, and it was like, like I'm not just like, uh, what is it, I'm not just like capable, I'm not just something about, I am Abel, Abel. or something, yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, it, it, was, it, was corny, it was corny, but it was good, like, because nobody else in the class is like that, so. Good, good group of guys that I like, hang out with. We'd go to the Dallas Bowl, which is a bar and nightclub shaped like a barn. Nice. Yes. The South. I love it. <laughs> um, had a terrible time there most of the time, but it was the thing to do. So we did it. But uh, so, but it was it was fun with all them. As far as some of the more infamous ones, then I'm trying to think. There was one guy who was from St. Pete, Florida. And man, I forget his name, but he would always talk. He was like one or two screws a little loose and he thought he was a shoot fighter. Oh boy. Like he was like, he, you know, he's one of these guys who like sparred with his actual fighter friend like twice. And so he comes in like for practice with like shooter gloves on and stuff like that. He's like, yeah, man, I'll mess you up. I'll mess you up. Like that guy just talking nonstop shit. Bro. Yeah, bro. Like and but he's like you could tell again. I'm sorry, you could tell he's a little like twitchy, a little, a little twitchy off. Wonky. Would talk about how violent St. Pete was, and like every Friday night there's chalk lines on the streets of St. Pete. I've seen that shit, man. Like I've seen like talking. <laughs> he talked hard all the time. Is is kind of the thing, he's right? Putting up a front, huge front. Terrible wrestler. Like you just couldn't learn to do a snapmare kind of thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he's one of those, and he's stiff as a bone to work with kind of thing. So. It was it was rough training with him, and then my favorite, the other everyone else was very innocuously fine. Uh, there was the one guy who ended up kind of stopping training the wrestling train to be a ref. We called Mister Money um, because before he would lock up, and you know, for those of you listening, you won't be able to see it, but before he would lock up, this was you know, some of us pat the pat the shoulders or whatever like <laughs> that. He would give the money someone. And lock up with you. Oh, yeah. It was like a twitch. It wasn't a choice, though. It was like a twitch. He just, he was did just it. like, <laughs> rub, rub his fingers together like he's got money in his hands and then lock up with you. It was like, okay. That's kind of funny. I noticed that I do like 
I, Everybody's I, got I do something. Like the fingers, like I do yeah. jazz hands, kind of. Everybody's got a little a little pre lockup twitch. It's true. <laughs> That's um, funny. Now, now everyone look at that when you yeah. watch wrestlers. Now see what their thing is. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Actually, one of one of the people in the class is Berkeley Ottman, who's Fred Ottman's son. Oh, and who is his uh, wife tugboat. hates me. Oh, really? <laughs> I'll tell that story in a oh, second. Oh, please. But. Uh, so he was there. He had always kind of helped out at FCW because his dad was friends with like Dusty and stuff like that. Just kind of, he would be a bell ringer or something like that at the shows. But he, he was in this class train. He was training. He wanted to be a ref. He really wanted to be a ref for like developmental. And, um, that never happened, but you know, bless him. He, he kind of stuck with it. They eventually did hire him at FCW to kind of help, like, he would run sound and music and, like, be, do the bell and stuff for actual, like, like uh, part-time and then full-time. And then he replaced Mark Yaten oh, wow. uh, up on the road in WWE. And now he's kind of, like, the ringside producer, not producer, but, like, he's one of those people helping, like, rack, uh, run rehearsals and stuff. He's, told, he rings, he's the bell ringer and, like, he's on the headset and, like, he's helped running the ringside crew and, like... He's he's still there. He's been there, and he's busted his butt like on that backstage side of things. So like, it, I, I'm actually really really proud of him. He's, he's a good dude too. And then this is going really long. I know. No, I keep going. <laughs> but my favorite, my favorite person from that class is a guy named Chase. I don't remember his last name because Chase would show up. He must have had at least a dozen John Cena T-shirts. <laughs> oh. Now Chase was a guy who clearly saw this was this was a tryout, oh, you know, yeah. for, you know, bro, I'm going to get signed by WWE out of this class. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, showed up in a John Cena shirt and he was, he was really short. Which, but, which Cena shirt? Do you remember? The one I remember the most was the purple and yellow one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Remember that? That was, cause that was right. That was that 2011, 2010. He was, I think he was coming off that Nexus thing or whatever. Yeah. Um, but he had a, he had all of them, bro. He had a closet full of them. You could tell all the fruity pebbles colors. Oh yeah, and but he was he was jacked up, maybe kind of on gas a little bit, like because he's short man. He was like no neck kind of thing like that. Just all beef, all beef, like you know, all five foot seven of beef, and um, but he would come and he would practice. Norman would yell at him. But he would train. He didn't have knee pads. He didn't have elbow pads. He didn't have boots. He didn't have shooter boots. He didn't have wrestling shoes. Um, he had his like Nikes, his cargo shorts, and his John. And he would keep. He would get yelled at to yell, take his chain off, like his like just like gold chain around God. his neck. Um, every practice, we yelled and take his earrings off because he would wear his earrings all the time to practice. But that's he would train like like he came like he was walking in from Abercrombie and Fitch like in these like khaki cargo shorts <laughs> and a john cena t-shirt john cena he was time. cosplaying more you, more, the, more or less n- more or less you were and this guy was convinced like where he would talk the shit to us and be like, be like <laughs> dude like I'm not, if i don't get a contract out of this thing he's like he's got like these guys are fucking idiots kind of thing like <laughs> dead serious dude. one of these days cena's gonna come in here and see me and be like bro that's my tag partner <laughs> Might be an actual quote. You might have just literally like inception to quote out of my mind. I don't know. Like that was the kind of stuff. And he would say perfectly deadpan and believe it. So this guy was an idiot and came, would cut the same promo every time it was asked, you know, cutting on the road. Like, 
he would literally do this. He would do the John Cena, you can't see me, like, in his promo. And not, he wasn't cutting a, a promo on Cena. So it's not like he was, like, using it against him. He was just like, just I'm Chase, yeah. I'm going to come kick your ass because you can't see this. And I'm like, okay, you're just using somebody else's shit. That's fine. <laughs> and all I remember this is so at the end. So we had a, like, a sh student showcase at the end. And we each had matches, and then we came back again and did a battle royal at the end of it. So I think he asked to win the battle royal. Okay. Yeah. I think that, or we booked him to win as a rib because it was just so funny. We're like, give, give him his little fantasy camp. This is <laughs> one moment. And like, we, uh, so we let him win. It came down to like me, him, and somebody else, and we let him win. Um, and we played John Cena's music for him. Every, <laughs> and like, you would think he'd be like, like, what are you, what are you guys doing? He loved it. He was like, went up yes. into the corner, was doing the word, word life thing and everything up in the corner. He wasn't living in fantasy land. Like he <laughs> loved it. It was so funny. He was like older than me too. It was God bless his heart. No kidding. And then, so like I kept in touch with my buddies at, uh, for a while after that. And they would say like, they would hear from him. And every, every now and then, like somebody, somebody kept up with him. I forgot who it was. And he claimed, uh, he was like, yeah, he got signed. And we're like, really? Cause we all kind of follow WWE and you don't seem to, mm -hmm. he's like, oh no, I'm training at the, the California developmental. Yeah. 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 They, they signed me and sent me out there. Yeah. Like, oh, that one that doesn't exist. <laughs> okay. And then that, I think that was the last I heard of him, but this, it was just, it was, uh, it was a good one. <laughs> God, that's. It's so funny because like so many people like when like when I started training too, there was so many people like that. Not so many, I should say. They're probably a handful. But you always see these kind of people like that that come in and they're just like, "Yeah, I'm gonna be the next like WWE champion," and they like t say that out loud at practice, and you're kind of just like, "You know, you shouldn't be talking like that." Yeah. Like especially with the way wrestling is, or I should say, was a lot more like people were more gatekeeping sure and just talking like that would just get your ass beat like very very quickly oh yeah um but that's a, that's really funny um but you so you mentioned fred ottman yes his son. i want to hear this so his so his wife uh does not like me or at the time didn't i don't know she probably doesn't even remember this What'd happened you do? so when freelance started uh i believe our second or third show was in october October of 2014. Uh, and I did, I go, yo, I want to do a Halloween battle Royal and I'll just get all these people like anybody. Cause so many people are like young guys are just looking for a spot on the show. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, but you guys have to dress up like, like X, like WWF or WCW yeah, yeah. stars. Wrestlers, yeah. Yeah. It'll be like a costume battle Royal. And it's, it's funny because like other people have like that were around at the show, like working on the show, they were just like in their heads are like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Why the fuck would you do this? And I was like, well, I just thought it'd be funny. And it literally is probably in the top five of my favorite matches ever done in <laughs> freelance because it's so stupid. And f it, but the crowd it's fun lost their fucking minds for like, like, you know, Marche yeah. Marche came out as the rock and the place literally fucking the roof almost came off. That oh, building. yeah. Um, but so we had the final entrant of the match was Dick Justice dressed up as the Shockmaster. <laughs> and I literally bought a Stormtrooper helmet and I spray painted it glittery the and stuff. Deal. The whole deal. 
And we, I was like, what the fuck was his music? So we literally just played the audio from that promo <laughs> for him to come out. And so he gets into the ring and he st- goes to step in through the ropes and he trips and his helmet comes off. And then he's like looking around and the whole crowd's like, oh, dick, dick, dick. And then he ends up winning. He couldn't see in the helmet at all, but yeah. he, he ends up winning the match. And I post like the, the photos of it online like the next day or the next week or whatever. And I got so many angry Facebook messages from his wife. How dare you do this without asking for permission? How dare you disrespect my husband and blah, 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 all this shit. And I, my only response to her was, but he won. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. he, and he shared the photo. Like he, he, Fred, Fred shared the photo and he's like, ha this is great. Like he thought it was funny, yeah. I think. But I, I just always thought that was the funniest thing ever that, that she was like so angry. That is funny. Holy that we were crap. disrespecting his memory. I was like, if anything, we were honoring it. Yeah. Like people loved it. That's fantastic. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, and that match is available for free on YouTube if you want to check that out. Nice. Anybody. Um, but so anyway, so you, you, you trained in FCW, came back to CSW. Uh, we had our now legendary uh, bout on the pre-show of a CSW show. Yes. Um, you were barely like on the independence. Like, cause I feel like you came back and within six months you were signed. Yes. Is that right? That's about right. Yeah. It was, um, so I came back. It was that summer. I came back, finished up in April, came back and then was signed in like that fall, October, November, I believe is, is when it like officially went down. And I mean, that is, that is, the right place, right? I'm not like, it's one of those things like, no, I didn't come and set the world on fire in six <laughs> months. And then got yeah, like, Oh, we have to have you No, Like that's one of those th- things. It's, I had a great rapport with Norman mm-hmm. and, uh, the timing of at the time it was, I think Ty Bailey, who everybody hated. I found uh-huh. out later, <laughs> everybody, every, both on like the Indies and like, even like the guys in developmental later on, they're like, Oh yeah. Like Ty Bailey was such an asshole. Um, Sorry, Ty, if you or if you were checking in on this, um, I had my 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 two emails with you were fantastic, uh, but uh, I guess he had he was looking for talent kind of everywhere, and they had gone to Norman, which is like, hey, have you dealt with any talent that you like? And I had a good relationship with him, and Norman put me over, and he, Norman called me and told me as such. He's just like, I can't promise you anything. He goes, but the TR guy came and asked me if I had worked with anybody. And I put your put you over. He goes, I don't know what it means. He goes, but uh, I would follow up with him if he gets in touch with you. He goes, I, I hope you're doing well. And um, I think he was selling himself short of what he did because, sure enough, I don't know. Just Norman, he's very humble, and like I, I owe. I'm convinced I owe my career to him. I've told him that, and he does not let me say that. But if without him, I wouldn't have gotten that shot. I wouldn't have gotten in front of that and because Ty it was Ty Bailey and then a uh, phone call from Johnny Ace at the time and they 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 took a shot on me they took a chance I mean at the time I was young enough I think it was 25 or something like that and they were still trying to hire younger guys and yeah it was just they took a shot on me man I'm like I had little experience pasty <laughs> pasty kid uh, I was tall Tall's always good in wrestling, but, uh, still are. Yeah. But, uh, I haven't shrunk much, but yeah, no, I'm convinced Norman, Norman put my name out there literally was the catapult for everything. Hell yeah. And that's, and that was kind of like, 
like when that happened, like all of us were just like, whoa, that's crazy. And I was like, well, like you, you had that relationship already established by, by being down there first. And it was just like, they obviously, obviously Norman saw something in you and, and you have like an acting background, you have charisma, which is probably the hardest thing to teach somebody yeah. is to be charismatic. Like you could teach anybody moves, but to be able to like cut a promo and connect with an audience and stuff like that, like that's, that's what really kind of separates some from someone from being a great wrestler and a great performer. Yeah. And I think that that's probably, I mean, it's for sure something that they saw in you and they were like, we can definitely uh, capitalize on this. And sure enough, you you were there for, for quite a long time. Yeah. No, I, I, I made a, I made a good go of it. <laughs> it, uh, it, it did all right by me. It was, no, it was, it was, it was, uh, I felt very fortunate, especially at that time. Like that, that was one of those times when I felt like it's so fucking corny, but like the secret shit, you know, like manifesting kind of shit like that, that time in my life, like right out of college thing when I'm like, I fucking want it. I know I can fucking do this like kind of thing. And like, I didn't, I didn't go down to that, that FCW class with the idea of like, um, like some of the, like this is a trial and I'm going to get noticed by WWE. But there were probably a little thing in the back of my head. I'm like, if I can impress someone, Oh yeah. Maybe that'll, it'll make build a contact or something like that. You never know, you know, you never know who's going to, it's the classic. You never know who's going to walk in the door. You know what I mean? And sure enough, like Taker and Midian walked in the door while, uh, <laughs> while we were training one day. Cause he was training for his, one of his mania matches and he was just coming to roll around and Midian was his, uh, is his rolling buddy. Hopefully so, with clothes on. Yes. Clo- clothed <laughs> Midian. And, uh, like, yeah, it, shoot just came into class when it was just, that was actually really cool. So, um, but no, it, uh, I, I feel like I just, I did, I had put all my energy towards, towards that. And like, it kind of, uh, it kept me positive, I think too, which helped a lot and, um, kind of, I think got me where I was. It was, and it was super like exciting for like, for like, for me, like you're being friends. Like I, I remember like kind of keeping, keeping tabs on like what you were doing. And I remember we went down for WrestleMania 30 in New Orleans mm-hmm. And you were wrestling at like the access yeah. there. They were having live matches. And I remember you were there and then we were like, oh shit. Like, like we went and saw you and that was really cool. And, and it's funny to see like who else was there that has now gone on to do like other things as well. Like there was so many, so many talent like that just, you know, worked their way up through um, doing those like type of shows. And then even like, I remember early NXT, like just, randomly you wrestled like Rob Van Dam. And I was like, yeah. that's the coolest shit ever. I was like losing my shit for that. It was, uh, that, that was the time we were figuring stuff out, man. Like, um, and that honestly, so I have such a weird relationship with early Aiden English because it wasn't what I initially wanted to do. Um, and, uh, I was always I was always afraid, right? Because I'm like, look, I'm like any other wrestling guy. I want to be Stone Cold Steve Austin, right? You know, I want to be 1999 Triple H. I want to wear black, wet my hair, be a badass, and kick people's asses. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And give middle fingers and use chairs and all this. Stuff. I I wanted to be that guy, of course. But um, that but most people who try to do that end up just being generic wrestler. A, because yeah. you're just trying to do badass moves and you're just trying to be an ass kicker and stuff and that's everybody. And it was, it, honestly, it was, 
Oh God, I almost forgot about that until this moment. I think it was Ambrose who told me like one time when he he's like, because I think I'd done a promo or two, but like the theater stuff. And he's like, and I was kind of incorporated, but I was still wearing like black and white trunks and stuff. He's like, dude, nobody knows who the hell this like thespian dude is like if we don't see it and like you don't really do it like you can't just like say this is who i am and then just go out and do drop kicks and yeah wear black tights it's like you got to do the whole presentation man you guys you got to you got to spoon feed everyone to who you are and so so like and that's when i started doing like started wearing the hat scarf and, and everything like that and it, it i was always worried because i did i was afraid of being stuck as a gimmick you know kind of thing it's solely like a cartoon gimmick and it, it did happen to me once or twice in my career as well um but also at that time when NXT, when we're kind of like experimenting with characters and everything, I became that heel that was such an easy one to work with for any babyface. Like I was capable enough to put on a good match, safe, you know, safe enough and really good at putting people at making the babyface look good. And I had this smarmy, this character that every was so easy to hate and interact with. So like. Guys like Sami Zayn, guys like Neville, loved loved working with me, and I loved working with them. But then they like they when Rob Van Dam came down as a special guest, they're like, yeah, put him with that with you know him. Easy, easy match, great you know good stuff. Sheamus too gave me one oh, of the yeah. best matches of my early matches of my career, and um, really brought out the physicality in me. <laughs> and like, holy shit! Now now he's one of my buddies, and I love it. Um, he still talks about anytime we get together he still talks about that match because that was at a time when he wasn't he was trying to kind of like not reinvent himself but i think he was on a kind of a little bit of like a dip on the main roster and was like came back and he's like i felt like shit that day and um he's like you like he kept in i remember oh my god him more than anybody else in my career while i was in the ring was telling me to kick the shit out of him Oh God, that's like, scary. Oh my God. Like in the corner, like I'm giving him good working boots. I'm making contact, but giving him good worker boots. And, uh, he's just looking up at me. Like, come on, come on, come on. Gary, cut it out. Kimmy, come on, keep kicking all this. Stuff. And I was like, holy shit. And like, he took a bunch of bumps for me and stuff. Yeah. So that was, that was a really cool time during the, those early NXT days. Uh, I used to love, uh, the way you used to like sing your entrance to the ring. <laughs> Because I was like, this is so cool because nobody else is doing this. It was something completely new, completely different. And like like you said, as being like a heel, it was like kind of obnoxious, which was great. Like it, it, it kind of checked all the boxes for like standing out on the roster. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is one of the things I'm most proud of just because I think it, well, I'm like that is nobody. They, I mean, you know, Jillian Hall and like Honky Tonk Man, but I mean like coming out like singing a different song every week, like as my entrance music yeah. kind of thing, I think was really, really cool. And it felt really original. And so I was, I was, was very proud of that. And, um, Regal was a great help with a lot of that stuff. He helped with a lot of the presentation stuff. The roses was all his idea when they started doing that, which was awesome. Um, fun story about the songs though. So I, which I, I to this day still think they're wrong, but, um, so what I was doing, and I was a little off key, so you probably didn't know all of them, but often I would take actual musical numbers and like change the lyrics. And so like I would be singing, I sang something from like Newsies, I sang something from uh, Doctor Horrible Sing Along Blog, yes. uh, I sang something from 
like Pirates of Penzance. Nice. Uh, I think. <laughs> and but uh, but I would just I would be singing about myself and about my opponent or whatever, but just to the tune of this other song. And so like a year later, I think maybe after I'd started the Vaudevillains kind of stuff, I would get, I got calls from WWE Music because I think they were backlogging stuff on the network or something and they're like, "Hey, um we have to re-record some of your entrances cuz like it's copyright infringement." And I'm like, "Doesn't that fall under parody, parody law?" law. And I'm like, "It's it's straight up parody. I'm literally I'm kind of humming the tune, but the lyrics are totally different." I'm like, "How does that not?" And they were, like, oh, it, just, "It just doesn't. We can get in trouble." So like they had to like dub mm. over with some of the, some of the I don't know if it's still that way some generic thing, but I did. I, at one point, Jim Johnston almost wrote a song for me. Oh really? Yeah. When he was still there, they were, cause they were, they liked my thing, but they were, somebody eventually was like, you should have a, a song song, you know, just in case you can't sing one week or like you, for when you win a match, you, you're going to want, you can't always sing after the match kind of thing like that. Cause that's what I was doing originally. So like, let's try getting a song ready for you. And so like he, I remember I talked with him a few times about composing something or he was even, he's like, if you want to try a couple of weeks worth of stuff, he goes, I'll try to compose like underneath it. So you sing what you sing. Um, as long as it's not a copyrighted song right. and I goes, and I'll add the instruments underneath you. So at least we That's have some really music. Cool. So they, they tried that a couple of weeks and, uh, it, it was a little weird, but it was just kind of cool to work with Jim Johnston, even just a little bit. He's a fucking legend. Yeah. No shit. Um, you mentioned vaudevillains. Uh, so is it was it vaudevillains or vaudevillians? Vaudevillains. Vaudevillains. Okay, that's what I because I people would always say it differently, and it's like yes, vaudevillain vaudevillians is what they are doing, but vaudevillains because they are heels. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's so cute. I love that, <laughs> and I I love I loved I loved everything about what you guys were doing, and like getting to meet Seth and like knowing you. I'm just like, God, you guys are both like awesome um what like what was some of your favorite parts of that i guess like because that didn't last as long as it probably should have yeah i mean so it's like i think trying to think how it because i don't necessarily agree with that i think it did run it lasted as long as it needed to but i think there could have gotten a lot more out of it especially on the main roster run we can get into that in a minute but like I mean, my favorite parts were it was unique, and like again, it, I was a similar thing at the beginning. I was like, I wasn't sure about being in a tag team, and I didn't know Seth very well, and I was afraid of it becoming. <laughs> That's all I gotta love it. Uh, no, I was afraid of it becoming kind of cartoonish. But I'm like, but in NXT, it was working. They were embracing these kind of out there characters. That's yeah. what I loved about the NXT audience at the time. God bless that full sale audience. They really like. They felt like they were creating. It was almost were. like an independent show. Yes, it was. It absolutely was. And they, like, these were, we were the weirdos, but we were their weirdos. And, like, they they loved things that were different. They they loved the Kevin Owens and, and the Neville's stuff, too. But they loved Tyler Breeze and C.J. Parker and the Ascension and the Vaudevillains and Aiden English. You know what I mean? Like, they loved all that stuff because it was just wild and different. And, uh... So when it was first pitched, it was like, I don't know. All right, we'll try to come up with something. And we we did just a lot of the old timey stuff. But NXT at the time treated it well. Like we would do those black and white vignettes and everything. Um, the silent films 
which which is really cool. Uh, I that was just it, that was a lot of fun doing that kind of extra stuff. Although, as you've heard, Simon probably saying in the first round of black and white vignettes were supposed to be silent, but they didn't add subtitles or mute them. <laughs> so like we were like pantomiming, but luckily we were talking. I think luckily we just for kind of shits and giggles, we said like the words that were supposed to be like written. Luckily we said that cause we could have been like, ah, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> like, cause we were just like doing the old timey thing, like walking through the door. But like on this take, we're like, all right, let's just kind of get an idea of what we're supposed to say. And they just used that one and they didn't silence it. And they just used us talking. But I'm like, our whole thing is supposed to be like silent movie <laughs> shit. And like, you can't even do the most bare minimum and mute us. But that was, so that was kind of funny, but doing the last up. And then, I mean, I'd be remiss. The, my favorite, one of my favorite moments of my career was that first Brooklyn when we got to win the NXT tag team championships yes. against Blake and Murphy. I mean, it was just one of those incredible event. First, the first one of those huge events for NXT, incredible crowd. Great match. Loved working with everybody in that. And uh, it was, yeah, that one was just, it's one of those seminal moments for me. Nice. Um, so when you when you guys kind of split up and then you started going on your own, doing your own stuff um, on the main roster at least, What? so whose idea was it to pair you with Rusev? Because it felt a little out of left field at first. 100%. But you guys, you guys made it so fucking good and it just like it got over and then it was just like oh somebody like some i might be speaking out of turn but it's it was like somebody was like mad that it was getting over it was like well fucking hell man like you guys were like they it was like they threw you together because they didn't know what to do with either of you Mm -hmm. and then you made something out of nothing and they were mad because now they had to do something with you i don't so i miro and we've never really had like a post-mortem on it um and I, cause he, he had more contact with like Vince and people like that, uh, than I did, but yeah, I mean, no, it was out of left field. So I, it was literally, we happened to cross pads just by chance in, cause he was kind of in a thing with Randy at the time and they just, they had booked me with Randy, um, a few times just kind of to give me some TV time. And Randy actually liked me. So like Randy wanted to do, even if it was just like two TV matches, wanted to do work with me and wanted to put me like people. Look, I don't think anybody saw it on TV, but I think either the first time or the second, I think it was the first time he worked with me. It was like, it was technically, it was like a two segment match, but it was like where the first segment was like just the entrances kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was supposed to be literally like, all right, you know, I can get a couple punches on Randy, but then he hits his comeback RKO one, two, three. Right. But Randy, Randy was the one kind of like, fuck that. Like, I see you. What you see you working with? Like, I want. I want to do something with you. So our match, I think, technically was picture in picture, but I have yet to be able to find the picture in picture footage because that's where all my shit was. Um, <laughs> the match started with him going up in the corner for his deal, and I I drop him with the microphone like before the bell rings, kind of thing. And that was like commercial, like going me staring at him. So it was kind of a cool thing. I got to jump one of the biggest guys in the company, and it went out with me on top. So I thought that was kind of cool to start, and then. Um, they started the match and they're like the first like three minutes of match, four minutes of the match in the commercial are all me. Like Randy's like, come on, take me, throw me into the stairs, throw me into the barricade. Like, give me a post. He let me, um, he stopped me. I was like one of the first, he started doing this with a lot of people, but like 
I think I, I may I may be speaking out of turn. I was one of the early people that he was doing that back, belly to back on the announce table. Oh yeah, and he let me flip out of it and give it to him on the oh, announce wow. table. And I'm like, again, think about who I am at this. I'm like low card Aiden English, and <laughs> that's he's a like, big bump for him to take. Yeah, he's like, yeah, fuck it. He goes, can he goes, can you land out of the belly to back? I go, yeah. He goes, yeah, give me it on the table. So all this stuff is like, boom, beating the crap out of him on the floor. And then like, I roll him in the ring, grab, put him in a hold. And that's when we come up from commercial break. And then from there, it's fight back, uh, come back, RKO, one, two, three. So like, not a lot of people saw that, but it was still, it was still the point of, he wanted to give me that opportunity and it, it was awesome. So sidebar, but just happened to cross with Rusev a thing and then through, um, the next week, they're like, yeah, Rusev's going to celebrate his little victory. And like, since you were there, come out and sing. And that's when I tell the story of having to get a tuxedo and learn the Bulgarian national anthem in less than 48 hours. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> thank you, Michael PSAs. Uh, yeah. For which part? The Well, he was the one who called me and told me. Because he was, oh, like, cause he was one of the head it. producers for SmackDown. <laughs> he was like, hey, we need you to uh, get, get a tux and, and learn the Bulgarian national anthem for SmackDown. I was like, oh, like in Bulgarian? Well, hell yeah. How else the hell are you going to sing it or whatever? <laughs> I'm like, like, yeah, fine, Michael. Fine. All right. Awesome. Um, like, so I'd like, I had to get fitted. Like uh, SmackDown was on Tuesdays. Like on Sunday, I had to get fitted at a men's warehouse in Illinois and then have it fabricated or like delivered or whatever in a, for a um, <laughs> men's warehouse in like Phoenix. So I could pick it up when I landed like the night before SmackDown. So hopefully it would fit. Thank God it did and everything like that. But yeah, man, it was, that was a whirlwind couple of days. And uh, yeah. But then after that, they called it the first ever Rusev day. And then we didn't turn it into something. The fans did. They just latch. I don't, to this day, I don't know why. I think it's because they liked Rusev. They wanted to see him doing something and they accepted me. (laughs) And, uh, that Rusev Day just became a chant and became a thing. Yeah, that was that was I I love when shit like that happens because um especially like from a fan's perspective it's like this is something that like is engageable for the entire audience like they can all they can all chant Rusev Day, Rusev Day. Um and it it's fun to be included in something. And if it's something that the fans kind of created on their own, it's like we they're how do you say? It? Like they're almost like part of the show. More, more so than they normally are. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, I think I don't know where ex- how exactly it started, but I, I've told a lot of people this, and I don't know if it's true. I'd have to pull like the entire audience, but I, I really like to think of it as like what, what was Rusev Day like on a, in a philosophical level? <laughs> and I'm like, so Rusev Day, we, we every day was Rusev Day, right? Mm-hmm. So like, again, on a philosophical level, I always thought of it as like. Every day you get to celebrate yourself. You know what I mean? It's not just a birthday or an anniversary. Every day you can celebrate yourself. And I think people latched on to it and us, starting with Rusev, this guy who had been always been the foreign bad guy, the brooding um, Bulgarian, then briefly Russian yeah. heel, um, you know, with, with, with the blonde, you know, Russian at his beating people up, monster power moves, Vince's very classic, very chic, you know, Vince's foreign heel guy. And I think Vince loved that. But Miro 
as a lot of people, I mean, if you've seen him on Twitch or if you've seen him now in AEW and everything, the guy's got a hell of a personality. Like he's oh, funny. Yeah. He's a goof. Um, he's so like charmingly funny um, as a person, but he never got to show that. And so I think when this started to happen, he got to kind of see that. And I think fans were like, oh, they latched onto that. So he was finally being something outside of a box. Yeah. And like, I wasn't as much, but even me, I'm like, I know I was doing the singing intros, but like in our backstage segments and in the matches, I didn't just have to be the theater guy doing it. Like we were telling jokes to each other backstage, Rusev day jokes, and just kind of being (laughs) dressing up in Halloween costumes with the new day and like having, but like just having goofy fun as Matt and Miro in a way. And I think people did latch onto that, even if it's not consciously. And I think that's why like the Rusev, the idea of like celebrate. And that's why in my head, I'm like, celebrate your real self outside of the box that someone has put around you. And you can do that every single day. And I think subconsciously fans kind of clicked onto that. Yes. The year some guys, <laughs> especially Rusev who are finally getting a chance to express themselves. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, that definitely, uh was fun is definitely the best way to describe all of that. Um, and then I guess shortly after that, you kind of like transitioned into a commentary role. Like yeah. what talk about that. Like I know some people probably would be like, Oh, like you're sticking me on commentary or like, I don't know if that was like your sentiment or not, mm-hmm. but I thought you did really well in that role. Um, uh, probably more of just you being like, I'm just going to do the best I could possibly do at anything that I'm doing. Uh, but talk about that. Talk about your, your, your love and or hatred for, for the commentary. <laughs> no, it's, it's all love. Um, I will say, so it was, uh, I'm trying to think I start this. no, um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was after the, it was after the Rusev day had kind of ended with a whimper <laughs> as opposed to a bang. Um, which I, Man, we tried to turn it into something. Nobody, nobody, nobody wanted to turn it into anything. Um, so, I'll, and I'll be like, anything you want to talk about? Or? I mean, I, and I've, I've said it before. I just, I think people often think like Vince McMahon hates things getting over organically. I disagree with that. He runs a business. If it's getting over, that's good for business. Generally, it means you're selling merch and stuff like that. But, there is the infamous story too, though, where Rusev went to Vince and said, Hey, my shirt is the number one seller in the company right now. Maybe we should capitalize on this. And Vince didn't believe him. <laughs> he's like, well, no, he's like, I talked to the merchandise department. They told me. And he's like, for, again, from Miro, Vince apparently said, uh, well, maybe we just didn't make a lot of shirts. Because that's how it works. Because Miro was like, no, we sold out of all the Rusev Day shirts. That was oh, it. Okay. And he's like, oh, well, maybe we just didn't make a lot. That's like and the Zack like, Ryder thing. Yeah. It's like, what? No. Like, we're making a ton of money. We're, we outsold, like, AJ Styles and 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 Cena and stuff at, at that time. Um, well, Miro outsold Cena. And everything. <laughs> I, I didn't because I didn't see any. You contributed. You contributed. But they didn't contribute anything back to me. Let's put it Fair way. enough. <laughs> That's the real. I don't think I've said that in a podcast before. But. Um, Oof. Yeah. No. I mean, like, I don't care. Ultimately, I don't care about money. But no, it, it was a little disheartening. I didn't see anything from any Rusev Day merchandise whatsoever. Other than the calendar because my picture was on it. Oh, hey. Which had a limited run of like 200 calendars. <laughs> That's something. pretty cool. Those are. No, if anybody bought those. They're super limited edition. Yeah, absolutely. Um 
but it, it, that was that was a that was a little like kick kick in the knee sort of thing. But all this to say, the su- success of the group was more important to me. But um, Vince does not hate things getting over organically. Um, if it happens, because he likes it. But if it's if you has an idea about someone, and that is challenged, I think he has a hard time changing his mind. I can understand that. I think that's the. I think and then again, Rusev was his foreign heel. Big and a bad guy. So, like, here's the thing: if he truly hated it, it we lasted a year. It wouldn't have lasted a year if he was like, "This is bullshit. I want it off TV." Like, they would. You could have told us. You could have broken us up and all this stuff. But I think he was happy to like, yeah, okay, you can be Rusev Day, but you're bad guys. You can't like go with the crowd and like yeah. we because we would try and Mira would like would run comebacks and matches where he was supposed to be a heel and like would get chewed out like. What do you like? You're you're a heel, damn it! Like you can't be doing that. Like God damn it, pal. Yeah, and uh, so I think that was an example. Yeah, okay. People are cheering for it. people want it. That's that's fine. But you're a heel, and we would keep trying to challenge him that. I remember having conversations with New Day where it's like, what the hell? <laughs> they were <laughs> yeah. like, they were like, why are they not turning? When they 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 were suggesting to us like, you guys should beat us for like the tag team championships and like turn babyface. Like we could do all this stuff and like. Uh, it was wild. So I think he's just stubborn in his view of certain competitors and especially a guy like Rusev. So anyway, flash forward after it ended with the horrible one night in Milwaukee, the storyline, my God. Oh, I forgot about that. Um, so I try to forget about it every day, but somebody always brings it up. Uh, well, you brought it up this time. <laughs> I know, I know, but like, it's like I would be remiss because it, it kind of, it informs the next bit. So like it ended with such a whimper that I, I, I was a little, I was disheartened, obviously. Sure. And, I mean, so, so the funny thing is Rusev was a much higher status than I was, but even he, he stayed like on TV, but he kind of did that tag team with like Shinsuke and then like did some weird stuff. Like he was very kind of in the middle too. So like he got hurt by it too, even though he, and then I was straight just off TV. Right. So like, Man, I was just looking for something to do. I was pitching ideas to get back on TV, and that that was probably the lowest point of my career. Just because coming off such a high, ending the last way we wanted it to end, and now I'm doing nothing. And uh, it's the worst. Like I wasn't even getting booked on house shows because I used to love house shows. Whatever, I can go. I can wrestle my buddies, live on the road. Like I like that stuff. Yeah but I wasn't even getting booked on the house show loops. I was just going to TV and sitting and catering. And there's nothing worse than that. And if, if I was going there, sitting there and being complacent, all right, screw me. But I was pitching writers and stuff. I'm like, let me do this. Let me do that. I can manage this guy. I can so on and so forth, but nothing, nothing got through. And there's nothing like going and not contributing. Like I used to love going to the airport. Mm-hmm. Like ever at the beginning of every loop and everything like, okay, I'm going to go wrestle. Like again, even if I knew I wasn't doing much on TV, but like, I got a weekend full of house shows. We're going to one of my favorite States. I love the gym there. And again, wrestling with my buddies. I'm part of the show. I'm going to be able to sing my song and annoy crowds. <laughs> I get to be a wrestler. Yeah. Right? You're living your dream. Yes. But when you're not doing that and then you're going to TV and you're not doing that, I don't, I'm not getting to be a wrestler. You're traveling to eat catering. Yeah. And like, there's like, it was the more, I remember going to the airport and like, I, again, I'm sorry, I keep cutting back to this, but like I would go to the airport proud. I'm a, I'm a wrestler going to the airport. And now I'm like, I'm just a guy getting on a plane, like <laughs> to go to 
Boston to come home on the next morning. It, it was it was it was really kind of uh, disheartening. So right during that time, Tom Phillips came to me and was like, "Hey, I've always thought you'd be really good at commentary. So uh, why don't you give it? We were gonna we're gonna be in Florida next week. Come to the PC. Let's let's try it out. Let's come record something with me in the booth." I was like, "Okay, fine." And I think I normally would have been. And it's funny. I think Tom had come to me when he in his early days in NXT with a similar kind of thing. Like, hey, like Aiden, like, and I didn't know him that well at the time. He's like, I think you'd be good at commentary. Do you want to come in like the booth with me? And at NXT, when I was still at the PC, I was like, no, thanks. No, thanks, buddy. I didn't say it like that, but I was, I was, (laughs) it was that kind of thing. I was like, I'm a wrestler. Like, you're not going to get me into the commentary thing, right? (laughs) Nice, nice try. Like, like, like he was some shitty salesman, like (laughs) good try, Tommy. Um, but, uh, but I'd always been buddies with him. And at this point, I think it's cause I, w- I was like, you know what? I need to say yes. I'm like, if I just say no, no to things and I, I continue like to not do anything and not get my ideas heard. I'm like, then it's on me for not taking an opportunity. So I said, sure. And, uh, and I went and did it and I literally, I'm like, I thought that would be it. Maybe I'll cut commentary with you again in a few months. I'll come record some more, but sure enough, the next week, Michael Cole calls me in the gorilla and says, Hey, Tom said you did great. Uh, well, we're going to throw you on to 205 Live between from here till Mania. This is January. Um, and we'll just see how you like it. And we'll talk at, at the end of that time and see what we want to do next. And in the meantime, you, you can still wrestle. They can still use you on house shows and SmackDown and stuff. I was like, Okay, cool, I guess. At least it's something. Yeah, it's something to do. I'm like, oh, Well, now I'm looking forward to next week. I, I got something to look forward to. And I get to work with Vic and and Nigel, who are both incredible. And, uh, but, and I, I did like the idea. I'm like, okay, cool. I can still wrestle. I can still do house shows and stuff like that. Lo and behold, the minute I showed up on 205 live on commentary, I stopped getting booked on any, any house shows, not any, nothing. Um, so I, I was a little mad. Like they immediately saw me as like, not a wrestler anymore, which was, that was disheartening too, but I was enjoying my time. And I owe a lot of that credit to Tom because Tom was very cool to me and in introducing me, but then to Vic Joseph and Nigel McGuinness, the team I worked with on 205 live at the beginning, I had so much fucking fun with those guys, both just as a, on a personal level two two made two new friends. Vic is one of my really good friends now in this business um, and, and two incredible work like colleagues to, to call, to call a freaking uh, show with. Oh my God. It was so that if it weren't for those guys, I don't know if I would have kept doing the commentary thing. I would have said, yeah, okay. Not for me. Like, but I had such a good environment with those guys that it made me want to keep going. That's good. I mean, that's, that's what you want, right? Like you don't, you don't want to, if you're going into a new position, especially with commentary, like, you know, not having fun or like not enjoying working with the people you're with. Like just like, it's like pulling teeth almost. Yeah. No. And I mean, if you're listening to this, you, you can, I like having this thing in front of my face. I like to talk acting background. And I always saw myself as I'm a, I'm a damn good wrestler. I am, but I'm, I, I always saw myself as kind of the promo guy, whether it is or character or straight lace or whatever. I'm always, I love talking. And I can be a little long-winded, which was one of the things I had to work on on commentary because you got to be <laughs> you got to be short, get your point in and get out. But uh, but I, I did I saw it. I'm like it's a 45 minute promo every week for me. I'm like I can still kind of be my character, but then I saw it as an honor to 
work on 205 Live and put these guys over as someone who's like a current in-ring talent and can relate to what these guys are doing and what they're going through, both on a professional and personal level, and put over a crop of talent who, at that time on 205 Live, so goddamn good. And that show was so underappreciated. Um, and that roster was was so was so fucking good. I'm like, you know what? All right, I'm going to do what I can to put these guys over and tell their stories because they deserve it. And I want to do take my skills talking and you and use it for them. And and I really I took a lot, a lot of pride in that. And uh and uh, yeah, I had a blast with it. That's awesome. And uh it, for any like people like on the independence or anybody that's like trying to, you know, maybe seek a career in WWE as a commentator, uh or like, you know, commentators mm-hmm. on the Indies, what like what are some like words of advice for that specifically or just like things that like no knows that they don't like and on tv um the i mean as far as the biggest is straight up like yeah like no knows advice like words of it obviously pronouns are pronouns are yeah pronouns are a killer i mean he like vince hates that in promos but especially in commentary where we can't see you and we don't always know you know sometimes there's eight people in the ring and stuff like that. So you, you learning everyone's names. Most commentators know this, but you learn everybody's shit. You know what I mean? Um, know, find out information about them. Know their history. You don't have to have like a dossier on everybody, but like if you don't know someone, get, go up, give them, get a few bullet points from them. You know what I mean? Um, I think one of the biggest ones is, um, knowing when to, when to tell stories and when to call action. And when you have like a two or three man booth, you usually have somebody doing play by play and then somebody kind of providing color. But sometimes you guys switch jobs. Sometimes one will do the other and everything like that. But like one of the best pieces of advice I got, like when we're getting, like when you get into like the go home sequence of a match, when you get into comebacks, false finishes and stuff like that, stories go out the window. Um, we're done saying like, oh, well, man, you know, he grew up on a farm and like he's so he's strong because he trained with his dad every day. Who cares? He just hit a power bomb and covered him <laughs> for a two count and almost won the title. Kind of thing. now we're just we're calling drama and action like, oh, my God, what is this guy got to do uh, to put him away? They just did this. Oh, they're going up top. Super high risk here. We're, we're just we're building just that tension and it's action now. Um, You can like drop like a character thing in there. But yeah, we're done. We're done. That stuff. Tell that stuff in like the shine. Mm hmm. And the heat kind of stuff when the match is a little bit more slower, a little bit more slow paced, and then you have more time to do that. Holds are great for that. That is your chance to tell somebody's story. Um, and then, yeah, speaking sound bites, unlike oh, yeah. what I'm doing right now. <laughs> uh, try to make your point and get out. Like you, most often, especially if you have a broadcast partner, you're not going to have a chance to do this and ramble on about, I know this guy from this when he does this, and I like it when he does that. Like, Make a point about how good he is and get out and let somebody else speak. And without calling people out in the current wrestling industry um, on TV, you can have fun with your broadcast partners. We all we all throw a little joke in there every now and then. Um, and like if if you're if you're a wrestler, you know, yeah, you can you can talk about your of course bring your experience to it. But you're not here to get yourself over. And you're not here to crack jokes, you know, during someone's entire entrance with your friends. 
So again, I, I'm all, we, we had so much fun on 205 Live. We would throw in little inside jokes and stuff like that. But <laughs> you, again, you get it in and you go out and you're back on the talent. So um, yeah, it's not about you ultimately. So focus on the talent. Excellent. Excellent. And, you know, obviously, unfortunately, you, you know, were let go from the company. Um, talk about that. Talk about your feelings. I know it's like nobody, nobody likes getting fired from a job, especially from someplace that you dreamed about going and working there. And you had, you know, aspirations to do more than you did. But you for what you did do in the short amount of time you were there, you definitely I feel like left enough of a mark that people, you know, will remember you. And still do remember you. Oh, no, I appreciate that. I think definitely, I remember kind of when it happened, I I was, I thought about that. I'm like, crap, yeah. I almost felt like I didn't though. I was like, but I I, I will say this, this year, as shitty as it has been, Mm -hmm. um, I've been reminded of that a lot. And I I appreciate words like that because I don't know when it happened because I never was world champion or because I never was even like an intercontinental champion. I'm like, well, screw I didn't, I didn't leave a legacy. Right. But then I'm like, man, I did some weird and cool stuff. I mean, the vaude, like vaude villains and Rusev Day are two very distinct, very interesting, very memorable things. And like, is it being part of like that NXT, like just fire up time of t- that oh, 2015, yeah. 2016, the big show Brooklyn, you know, the the tours, international tours, stuff like that. I mean, in addition to just all the personal memories of travel, you know, of traveling the world and stuff like that. So yeah, um, that I've been reminded of that a lot this year. And so I'm very grateful for that, but no, at the time it, 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 it sucked because I don't know, I guess I, I knew being on part of like that two five live crew. I'm like, yeah, I know we're kind of on the more probably expendable side of things. We're <laughs> one of the smaller shows doesn't get a lot of attention as we had heard, three or four times on my time there that, Oh, the show's getting canned, right? The show's getting canceled or something. Um, but I still don't, I'm like, you know what? I I know I've been here for like a year, a little over a year actually doing that, but I'm like, I'm still young. I can still wrestle. Like I haven't told anybody like I will never wrestle again. And so I'm like, I feel like I've just added to my resume instead of like restricting. I'm not restricting it to just announcing. I'm like, I feel like I'm, now I have like a year and a half of that under my belt. So I, you could put me on Raw. You could put me on SmackDown and I'd be good. You could put me in the ring on Raw or the ring on SmackDown or NXT and I could be good. So I'm like, all right, I have a wide variety of t- skills to offer this company still. Surely there's something that you could do with me. Um, someplace. And when, so when it happened, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm like, um, I felt a little stung just because I'm like, I spent this last year. I felt like, adding to my resume. And I do have thoughts of maybe like, man, what if I would have just said no thank you to the commentary and kept wrestling, even though I was struggling, wouldn't, would it maybe have it been better? Would I have found a role that would have maybe kept me more established or something? But I mean, you can do could have, would have, should have all day long. I had a great, sure. a great experience. Um, so, I mean, it stung and, and it really did. And I felt for a lot of, a lot of my fellow colleagues and stuff like that. And the hardest part really was, because here's the thing, it's it's still wrestling. Even at WWE, it's wrestling. And so I'd be a fool if in the back of my head my entire career, there's never the thought of, you know, post-WrestleMania cuts, right? You know, yeah. I was never Roman Reigns. So like, I, I didn't never felt totally secure. You never know when that call is coming. But I think the thing is, 
I'd gotten far enough along in my career where like, if it were any other year, you know what I mean? And you, you drop me out. I'm like, okay, I'll hit the ground running. I mean, cause in, independent wrestling was flourishing. Oh yeah. God, the stuff everywhere. I mean, here, here in Chicago, I mean, all over the U S I mean, internationally, I'm like, I'd be ready to go do promote conventions, promoters. Uh, I was looking for like Sami Zayn really turned me on to like worldwide, like indie wrestling, like, Oh dude, like I would have promoters like fly me into Hungary like a, a day early and I would just explore the city and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'll do, I'm going to start doing that That's shit. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to start spending like, instead of, you know, 48 hours in Japan because we're on a tour for WWE. I'm like, I can spend three days there in addition to the show. Now I'm like, I could really see the world maybe. And then, and wrestle all over the U S and I don't know. I'm like, I can, I can make this shit work basically. But being 2020 and literally it's like you get dropped out into quicksand basically. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> Oh, okay. I just got to find some other shit to do. And like, I done like some virtual like meet and greets and stuff like that and appearances and it was fun. But, uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's the hardest part. It, it wasn't like, it wasn't the getting let go. It was just, it was the environment I was let go into. Yeah. Just kind of like, Hey, good luck. Yeah. Which and, is, which is, you know, it is. And I understand that. Like, I understand the circumstances. Um, business was hit hard all over for every, every type of business and especially wrestling. But I mean, if I will say it like here now, I mean, WWE was not struggling that much. No, I, I believe they turned a profit. Pretty record profit, <laughs> near record profit. Um, part of that in due to cutting so much yeah. employee and talent, I know. But still, like, and I, I, I felt like such an idiot because I was telling people, like, there were other announcers that were like, man, are we going to lose our jobs and everything? And I'm like, Psh. I'm like, bro. And I've been saying this for years. I'm like, it's a TV company more than anything. I'm like, live events don't, they, sometimes they cost us money. Yeah. I'm like, they don't draw, really. Um, they don't, so we don't earn a ton of money. There's a little bit of merch sales there and stuff like that. And the TVs, the TVs draw, but even some of those, you, you see the infamous photos of tarped hard off. cams tarped off that yeah, entire yeah. side, you know, those were drawing less. I'm like live attendance. It's a nice little extra money. And like, again, you can get some merch sales out of it, but it's those billion dollar TV deals and international television rights and the network and streaming rights. I'm like, that's, that's where the company's making its money. I'm like, we still make plenty of that money. You know, the live event attendance is this, you know, a tiny portion of it. So I'm like, we're, we should be all good. And so that's why that, that is, uh, makes me the only thing. That, ugh, that's the one thing that makes me a little hot about it. Just, and not me, just for everybody, all the people they let go at corporate and everything like that. Yeah. Again, I know business was hit, but they could afford to take a hit and their income they were making is all from non, not all, but a good mostly. chunk is mostly non live event, not attendance based kind of things. And so, I, I mean, I give credit to a company like AEW who didn't, who didn't cut. I know they're smaller. They run much leaner obviously than WWE, but man, good, good on, good on someone like Tony Khan to, to, to kind of gut it out and, say talent is worth it and, and keep every, keep everyone on during that time. So like, yeah, uh, I think it's just, it's not, maybe not might've been a, excuse me, it was probably a hard financial move, but it's an integrity move. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a little, I'm sore about that again, not just for me, but for everybody who was kind of let go from all sides of the business. Yeah. And, and like you said, with, with wrestling specifically WWE more than anything is, is like a television company. 
And I, I've talked about this with other people that I was like, I can definitely see in the future now, post COVID, uh, them doing stuff like doing uh, the Thunderdome, how they have it now, where all TV is kind of like just out of the same building and not really doing live events, but like touring for like maybe pay-per-views and, and just kind of keeping this all in-house because then it's like, I feel like it's probably cheaper for them as a company. Mm-hmm. And then I, I would assume, you know, the wrestlers would probably love it for like le- less travel, less like, you know, it's just, it seems that that might be the way that the business might be going. The way of the, yeah, I think it's for sure. I mean, they were already talking about it anyway of phasing live events out, house mm-hmm. shows. So, I mean, when, even on the other side of this stuff, I think you're either going to see zero or very few house shows. You know what I mean? You might see before it was three or four were attached to like each show, like there are three or four on the SmackDown loop, three or four on the raw, sh- raw loop. I'd be willing to bet maybe one, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like SmackDown and then a Saturday house show or then like a Sunday house show, then raw. And like, that's it. Um, if in, but I'm saying, I agree with you if that, and I think, I think touring will be less. I think they might, they, I think they would like to redo, international tours because mm-hmm. that was always a good that was always a good um, moneymaker for them and it's I think it's good to treat your international fans who never really get to see you in person anyway never get the opportunity so I mean I but I could also see once even once fans come back like the Thunderdome style thing staying in some capacity yeah like there's gonna be like a section of the crowd that is digital you know for people who aren't able to make shows and stuff like that old, you know, handicapped, sick people, something like that. Like you have a, you know, 10% of the crowd is, is Thunderdome style or something. I don't know. It's, there's a very interesting future for, for television wrestling, I think coming out of this. Yeah. It'll, it'll definitely be interesting to see kind of how it progresses. And like, I feel like wrestling just it for better or for worse, I feel throughout this pandemic, wrestling was kind of the only thing that never went away, which, you know, like depending on how you want to look at it is, yeah, yeah. is, is awesome or <laughs> completely irresponsible and terrible uh, or somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I think somewhere in the middle, I think is, is where I kind of stand on it because there are ways to do it safely and, and appropriately. Like you say, AEW, like I know they, they have like very strict, strict uh, testing mm-hmm. uh, protocols that they do like testing dudes and ladies uh, multiple times yeah. before they even get into the building, which is, which is really cool and, you know, safe for everybody. And we haven't really seen that many outbreaks in wrestling, thankfully, knock on wood. Can, yeah. Considering the, the nature of, 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 the, of the wrestling business, you, you would think it would be like a crazy hop, you know, a couple, couple spells here and there, but like, yeah, not, I mean, you would think it would be just rampant and like, no, it is. And like AEW is a good example. They have the, they were, they got the, um, the rapid tests mm-hmm. before WWE did. And, um, cause I'm, I was there for the first couple of weeks of empty arena PC. Oh yeah. You know, stuff like that. And it was just fill out a sheet saying you, you don't know anybody with COVID and get your temperature taken. And we went in, but we just didn't know. Like nobody really knew. We, we, yeah. You were still figuring out. And it, it was almost impossible to get like, bulk rapid tests and everything like that. But once you were, it was, it made things much, much safer and easier, but yeah, it was, it was a weird little time. 
Um, so I, I mentioned earlier too about like advice for for people on commentary. Uh, do you have any any words of wisdom that you'd like to give any like young wrestlers? I know a lot of the freelance academy students listen to this. Shout out Trevor Outlaw. Um, any any advice for any of these young youngsters coming up that like would like to to move on to you know AEW or WWE or something like that? Yeah, I mean. I'm trying to think of what I can say because I will say this: that's not going to sound like some like old timer who tells you you kids don't know how to wrestle anymore. Um, <laughs> but like, it's kind of funny come, having gone like there to that platform. A lot of the stuff you hated hearing is like a brand new wrestler. Like, oh, it's begrudgingly kind of true. Like, I remember like when I first when I first started working with Terry Taylor, the epitome. I, 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 I love you, Terry. Um, but the epitome of kind of like, what the, you guys all, you do all the flips and you do like, you're doing all this stuff and it means nothing and all the, and the, like you're, you're what's killing the business and everything like that. And roll my eyes all, all the time at him and everything like that. And God bless Terry. I think he kind of ended up has met talent in the middle to be fair. Like since he started with, uh, with, uh, NXT and everything like that. Cause I, years later after working with him, like there were times when I'm like, fucking Terry was right. <laughs> like he's right. Like I don't need, like I don't need to be moving like all the time. I can sit still in like in the work. I can work a hold. It doesn't mean I just sit in a chin lock and like lazily fall up, but like we don't have to be running all over the place for 15 minutes straight. Like we can sit here. Like we can sell, selling things is huge. Mm-hmm. I would say that sell, 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 sell. Um, I mean, if I can give a quick plug, I mean, YouTube drama King Matt YouTube. I do have one of my videos is like a five kind of five tips for new wrestlers, but, and selling, selling is one of those things. Storytelling is another. And I think a lot of people think like, all right, uh, I'll work the arm. And that's my story. I'm like, oh. and you do a couple hammer locks or whatever. And you're like, <laughs> I told an arm story. And it's like, no, like it doesn't have to be a novel, but like be really try to be clever. If you're going to like do an arm story, make that the story. The story means that's the focus of the match. Like you use it with somebody whose finisher takes you needs his left arm and like he struggles to hit it. You've beaten it up so many times. Every counter, every hope spot gets st- you know stopped with something to the arm. You, like really be be through. <clears throat> excuse me, thorough through lines with you with your storytelling and um and really sell that stuff. And um, it it, it less is more. I'm not saying don't do. Cool, wild, awesome shit. That's that's I think that's where the meat in the middle is. Mm-hmm. Dives are fucking awesome. Um, a lot of the new innovative athletic moves that have been introduced and that have become more commonplace in wrestling are awesome. Um, but you don't have to hit all your shit in one match. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't have to. As I know because when you're getting established, you do you want everyone to see my suplex and my super kick and my power bomb and my swanton and my moonsault. They will. It's a marathon, not a sprint, man. Like you, that stuff's only just going to beat you up more the more you the more you try to do it and everything like that. And your opponent will hate you. <laughs> that was that was one of the the the, the first things I remember that I, that I, that I will credit uh, Boz for is he. I remember him telling us like not every match has to be WrestleMania. Yes. And I was like, I I, I never really like sunk in until like probably like two or three years ago where I was like, oh, like I literally don't have to do everything I know. Like you were saying, like it's, it's not a, it's not a sprint. It's a, it's a marathon. You yeah. can tell your character and your, and get your moves over, over a course of a couple shows. 
Um, but not every, you don't have to do every single move in the same match yeah. because then what are you going to do next time? Yes, exactly. So yeah, selling, learn to talk. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to be, you know, Jake, the snake or Roddy Piper or something like that, but learn to communicate, you know what I mean? Like effectively and with conviction. That's the one thing I'm like, you don't have to be an Oscar winning actor, but you have to believe what you say. That's a huge thing. And then my other one, um, and I mean, you, you almost are more, have more of this experience than I do. Um, but especially on like the independent level, and then this is going to be apply more as things open up. But I saw even before I left for WWE, I would see so many people get stuck in one promotion, mm-hmm. one tear, like, Oh, I, I live here in Illinois. Okay. So I'm going to wrestle for this, my friend's promotion in Illinois and every month for 10 years mm-hmm. and it's like if that's all you want to do great but if you if you want to be like remember a career wrestler and stuff like you got to go everywhere bug bug promoters in new york in philly in wisconsin in i'm talking from a midwest perspective but all over illinois like work everywhere try because you're going to see different audiences you're going to see different what works where not everything will work the same way it does in in chicago or in wisconsin and stuff like that try to get booked internationally if you can you know, some of these promoters I've heard, you know, you don't always have to be the biggest, you know, indie darling to get, to get booked in England or something like that. You'd be surprised. Like, so that was one of my biggest ones work everywhere you can. Cause you'll just get the most well-rounded education. Excellent. Excellent. Um, well dude, thank you so much for sitting down. I know we, we were playing tag a little bit, trying to oh, yeah. figure out a time to do this, but, uh, I'm very glad that we did. Um, before we get out of here, uh, I usually leave the last part of this open for anything that you want to plug, promote, uh, anything, anything at all that you want to talk about that we didn't. Uh, the floor is yours, my friend. No, as if as if I haven't taken up enough of your floor. I think we've been here <laughs> six hours. Um, no, uh, I, I so it, getting let go, you know, in in this whole environment, and everything. I had to pivot and do some different stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things I have been doing is I have. Like a lot of people, I am on Twitch. Um, Xavier Woods kind of gave me the little push to give that a try. And honestly, that has led me into a world like outside of just like, hey, a wrestler doing Twitch. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of those. Like I deep dove back into like gaming and like equipment and like I'm into like YouTube stuff and esports and competitive gaming and all this stuff. And I'm like, holy crap, there's a whole world. And I, I think esports is already blowing up and has been the last several years, but like 2020 just like set the was wick. Like the best for it. Yeah. Like set the wick even further up the thing. The dynamite's about to explode. So like, I know for me, like I'm looking to maybe even broadcast esports. So I'm learning, I'm learning different competitive games and stuff now too. So like, yeah, I'm on there every uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, Twitch uh, Drama King Matt, check come check it out. It's a super fun community. Um, I'm also making YouTube videos. Uh, some of them are gaming related. A lot of wrestling stories though too. Uh, that's also Drama King Matt on YouTube. And then um, the wrestling with whiskey stuff is uh, is on YouTube as well. It's a separate show. I'm actually about to start a, a little like blind tasting interview show for that, where I'm going to send whiskey samples to wrestler friends of mine, and uh, we're going to drink. It's I'm kind of ripping it off of hot ones. Um, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> but I realized if I had that many, I would just be having getting people drunk on air and that would probably not be good for some people's uh, public <laughs> uh, persona. So I'm just sending, making it a little bit more introspective, three blind samples and uh, 
Some of my friends like whiskey. And so like, if they do, they can try to guess, which is that guess what it is, or if it's the, you know, guess if it's fancy or not. And then for some of my friends hate whiskey and they'll just try not to throw up. Oh, and that's we'll, fun. we'll just, it'll kind of be like, have a sip of this whiskey and we'll talk we'll bullshit about wrestling. And all right, now I'll move on to this one and I'll try to theme the picks each time. So I've got a couple of guests line up when, once I get dates down, I'll, I'll start announcing those, but yeah. So wrestling with whiskey, you can find that on Instagram and YouTube and Patreon as well as I have a single barrel club where we pick barrels of whiskey. So the more people in that, the better we can get better barrels. So Ooh. it's only five bucks a month. So it's actually one of the cheapest barrel clubs in whiskey dumb. So uh, <laughs> that's patreoncom slash wrestling with whiskey, wrestling with whiskey on YouTube and then drama King Matt on Twitch and YouTube as well. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll probably do this again at some point. Please. Like I, you love to talk. I love to talk. I love to listen. Um, so yeah, thank you again. We'll catch up again soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. Hell yeah. Take care. <laughs> Holy crap, dude. Hello, yes, this is Dan Housen. This is a message for uh, Nick and or Matt Nicks, apparently, because you have two names somehow. But uh, yes, Dan Housen called. He heard that the freelance wrestling of some sort that Dan Housen has been employed by in the past has a Patreon of some sort that developed uh whatever baby secrets and wanted to know if Dan Housen is on there and if Dan Housen's check for participating in such things will be coming in the mail soon. If it is not, you shall rue the day. Uh, yes, Davis will be in touch shortly about uh, mailing addresses for this uh, check of some sort. If not, Dan Housen knows where you are. So wrestlingkeys.com slash Dan Housen. Go. He shall be paying you a visit soon if he does not receive money by mail. Okay, see you later. Have an evil day. Goodbye. Yes, love that Dan Housen. Oh, 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 oh